the biggest challenge that I've seen and witnessed in leadership today is, I call it like a crisis of consciousness. Many of the leaders who are running these very large companies struggle with really understanding like where is their place in the world? What's the real positive change that they want to create for themselves, for others. And that's at all these companies at varying levels. Could be at the highest, it could be middle management, but the biggest challenge is folks don't fully understand or know who they are. And so they kind of operate out of a default mode, which often is fear. Welcome, I am your host Dino Cattaneo and you're listening to Authentic Leadership for Everyday People, the podcast where we investigate the connection between effective leadership and authenticity. If you're looking for inspiration and tips on how to become a better leader by being your true self, you're in the right place. Last week, Rishi Bhatia, CEO of Purple Carrot, talked about how he kept a learning mindset throughout his whole career and how he was able to become a CEO after he started on the technology track because along the way he took a couple of roles that CTOs normally don't take. Today, we delve deep into leadership in pressure and high growth situations. Our guest is Kevin Tucker. CEO of Consciously, a coaching, counseling, and consulting company that focuses on helping leaders become more conscious of who they are and build their leadership from that consciousness. As you can imagine, this concept really resonated with me as it is very aligned with the idea of becoming a better leader by being your true self. Before starting Consciously, Kayvon spent many years in leadership development at some of the largest high growth tech companies, places like Google, Netflix, and Amazon. He left that path to relocate to Costa Rica with his family and start consciously in partnership with his wife. So we had a lot of ground to cover. We started with some of the challenges that leader in our growth companies face, and then some of the practices that allowed great leaders at all levels within the company to succeed. We talked about the importance of building a vision and some practical exercises that help a leader build a strong vision. Then we moved to Kevon's journey and talked about the steps he took to be able to make a drastic move like the one he made. And we closed with a little discussion on how to successfully work with your life partner. Enjoy. So Kevon, welcome to Authentic Leadership for Everyday People. I'm very excited to have you. This is a conversation that happens a year after we first planned it. And there's been a lot of change in both our lives, but I think that my listeners are more interested in you than me. So give our my listeners a little bit of of an introduction, who you are, what you're doing, and some of the momentous changes that have happened in the past year for you. Absolutely. Thank And thank you for allowing me to come on your show, share a bit about myself, share what I'm up to and what's important to me. So I really appreciate that. So my name is Kayvon Tucker. I am a father. I am a husband. I am also a CEO and co-founder of a company called Consciously. And I co-founded it with my wife, who's a licensed clinical social worker, uh, therapist, my practice. And so what's really important to us and a large part of the reason why we started this company some years ago is really creating positive change and co-creating positive change in the world. And we believe we do that by helping people and leaders become more conscious of who they are, what their purpose is, and supporting them to fulfill it. So that's the, my day job is being a coach and running this growing business. I'm actually in a place now where we're bringing on other coaches to build a collective of leaders who care about similar things. Leaders who understand that self-awareness, consciousness is the way to create a more positive future for the world. 
Um, so we're, we're really excited to be growing and my days are, are filled up with that and being a dad, of course, which I love. And that's one of the positive changes that's happened in the last couple of years. Uh, so to share, when we first set this up, I was working at Google. I was the head of manager and leadership development there, setting vision, strategy, designing programs, managing programs, also managing others who were managing programs. And I have since left that job to focus on growing this business, uh, developing consciously. Um, This work has been something I've been doing for some time. And it was right around last year when it just felt like it was the time to make this big change. Uh, On top of that, six months after quitting my job at Google, my family and I, we picked up and moved to Costa Rica. And that's also in service of creating more space for us to be the family that we want to be. And for me and my wife to be the leaders at home that we want to be. And so it's been big, challenging transition. But at this point, we're really happy with all these choices. Leaving Google was a great choice for me at that time. Leaving to Costa Rica was a great choice for this family. Uh, so that's that's where we're meeting. We're meeting at a huge transformational and transitional point in my life. I'm so glad that I get to share this a bit with your listeners and with the world. Well, that is great. And I think that what is really interesting to me is that you know, a lot of my more corporate listeners, when they hear the words consciousness and making the world a better place, sometimes may not be anything like, oh, this is all fluffy things, et cetera. But as you pointed out, you had a long career in a traditional corporate world before you came here. So tell me a little bit about your journey before you got here. You know, what were some of the sort of key moments in your let's go like the more traditional world that you operated in before as you started to become the leader that you aspire to be. Yeah. Well, it is this journey in and through corporate America that led me to finally make this change and focus on what I'm focusing on today. So my background is in psychology and organizational psychology. So I do the kind of stuff where you know I started my career in learning and development and did a whole bunch of stuff in that space, designing organizations, managing change, all that good stuff, supporting organizations to be the most effective that they can be. And then I had this chance to work at places like Netflix and Amazon and Google And it's been along that journey after first being exposed to leadership development and coaching where I started to see the challenge that many of these organizations face. Most organizations fail because of its most senior leaders in, in so many ways, whether it's due to hiring, process, technology, or just some downright challenging leaders. And the biggest challenge that I've seen and witnessed in leadership today is, I call it like a crisis of consciousness. Many of the leaders who are running these very large companies struggle with really understanding like, where is their place in the world? What's the real positive change that they want to create um, for themselves, for others? And that's at all of these companies at varying levels. Could be at the highest, it could be middle management, but the biggest challenge is folks don't fully understand or know who they are. And so they kind of operate out of a default mode, which often is fear. Fear is fed to us in so many different ways through news, through family members. And so when you're, when you're not operating out of consciousness or even call it love, you're often operating out of fear. And that's what leads so many organizations to crumble or to create really challenging 
traumatizing, toxic environment, some of the things that people are kind of reeling from now uh, are because of leaders acting unconsciously out of fear. I'm wondering if you would be able to share like some specific moments where you came to this realization, maybe create crisis that you navigated with, with some of your clients without going in the name of the organization, because of course we want to yeah. provide and protect <laughs> confidentiality. Yeah, I want to protect myself. <laughs> yeah. We're interested in the learning, not the gossip. I here. appreciate that. You know, so there are a number, and I know you understand this stuff. There are a number of what as a coach, we, we often call saboteurs that are running rampant through organizations. The biggest one that I've experienced and supported my own clients through is hyperachiever. It's the saboteur that is never satiated. The saboteur that will run the individual into the ground as well as everyone else around them. The one that sets ridiculously high expectations or sets goals that just aren't realistic uh, just to see what's possible, right? And I appreciate the value that that has because in some organizations, hyper-growth organizations like an Amazon or like a Google, um, it gets people to move very quickly. The downside of that is that you run through people, right? People and people end up running from these organizations after working for them for some time. You miss goals, that can be extremely demotivating. Wellness ends up becoming a huge, huge challenge in these kinds of places. Uh, I firmly believe if a goal is creating a tremendous amount of stress on the employees, then it's a bad goal. That's my perspective. Um, many other people would disagree. I believe there's a way to set goals in organizations that are inspiring, that are motivating, that are regenerative for employees, not ones that burn people into the ground or run people into the ground. That's a big one. Another big saboteur that you see show up in, at the highest levels in organizations is uh, controller and stickler. I, I kind of pair these two together. Uh, the stickler is the, the saboteur that says things must be done this way. Otherwise, it's no good. Same for controller. Or I want to do this because I'm the best person to do this thing. A lot of first-time managers really struggle with controller saboteurs. They're the ones that want, don't want to delegate. They want to hold on to their work because that's what they're used to. And that's not how you scale an organization. So you see organizations begin to struggle to scale because leaders don't want to let go of their, their precious work that they've been responsible for for some time. Or they just don't fully trust the people around them, not because they're, the people around them aren't trustworthy, but because they're scared. They're scared to let go. And that's how you, that's what fear-driven leadership often looks like in these organizations. You've worked in these organizations through a couple of significant changes, more than a couple, changes both in the environment and economics situations, and then changes a little bit in the culture, changes in the speed of change. Have you noticed anything that is particularly interesting in the way that maybe leaders thought about leading in, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago versus today? Yeah, it's an interesting thing. This is a great question. I've sensed that there is a growing disregard at, at senior leader levels, a growing disregard for the human body. And again, I don't want to get into the gossip, but this is something that I have witnessed where 
there's so much change that's introduced in these organizations that the concept of like change management or or doing anything to actually help people adapt to change is almost looked at as a lost cause. And it's like the places that are experiencing the most change, you think you would invest a lot in helping people adapt to the change that's being introduced. But in some ways, it's almost like senior leaders have kind of thrown their hands up in the air and like, oh, you know what, this is just how it is. And I hope people will survive. <laughs> it's kind of the feel that you get when you work in a place like an Amazon or a Google. And I mentioned those two because these are the places where I experienced a lot of change and saw a lot of new things introduced, but very little support to help people adapt. Uh, the, the expectation is, kind, and this is not anything I ever heard from any leader, but it's almost an unspoken expectation. Like, hey, you either like get along or kind of get lost. If you can't keep up with the rate of change, then that's your fault. And I think that's really unfortunate because I don't think most people are actually adapting to this change, this rate of change, as well as these organizations need people to adapt to change. And so that's something, it's almost like a little bit of like loss of compassion has begun to happen because there's so much change that so many of these leaders want to facilitate or feel like they need to facilitate. And that's, that's creating a lot of challenging ripples in these organizations. Now, we've talked a lot about of the challenges and the difficulties. What are some of the examples of the successful leaders that you've seen? Yeah. Obviously, these organizations have tremendous success. And, you know, when you have an organization with that number of people, you get a full spectrum. What are some of the great ones doing? I love that question. Thank you. The great ones are, my language I've borrowed from others, are very coach-like. And these are some of my clients. And I, was, I love my clients. I've helped them become this way. And this is why we work together, because we're aligned. But the great clients are folks who really do care about the individuals that are on their teams, the folks who report up to them, the folks who are across them, and the folks who are, you know, quote unquote, above them. And they're the folks who ask lots of questions. They're the folks who encourage the people on their team to set goals that work for them within certain parameters, right? Like, hey, I would love this done and I would like it to look kind of like this. What do you think, right? And the great leaders, they ask open-ended questions. And then when challenges arise, they listen. They hold space for these challenges rather than just pushing things down people's neck. These coach-like leaders, conscious leaders, are, are the ones that are going to help organizations thrive in the future. And this is what I want to do at Consciously is begin to develop more of these leaders so that more and more of them take senior leadership roles or the senior leaders that are already in place. They begin to create these organizations that create cultures around being more coach-like. Uh, courageous, authentic, vulnerable, curious, all the wonderful qualities that exist within coaching. These are just great ways of connecting and relating to others. And leadership is all about relationship. So it's the leaders who are great at relating to the people around them in the organization. Those are the ones who are, who are ex excelling even during challenging times. They're able to hold space for themselves and for others. If you're in an organization that is in hyper growth and you're trying to balance the, the drive and the need to achieve goals that are at best stretch goals, if not impossible goals, what are some of the practices that you've seen for people who have been able to balance those goals with like a more empathetic and like human, if you will, approach to running their teams? Yeah, what I see and what I encourage are one, just really getting clear on the vision. 
right? And this is something that some leaders do well and some leaders do really well and some leaders don't do at all. But for the individual leader, like, okay, what is your vision? Like, what do you, what do you want to see? And some loose terms, right? And, and what's important about that? So helping them get clear about like what they want to see and why so that they can communicate that to the people who are ultimately going to be responsible for, for making that vision uh, come to fruition. And then enabling the people on their team to set the goals and timelines around that. Like, okay, Dino, you and I are on a team. This is what I want to see. One year from now, I would love for our customers to say this about us. And then Dino, you say, okay, that sounds great. I like that too. That sounds good. I might tweak this, but that sounds, that's an inspiring vision. Great. And then me as your, your manager, I might ask you, okay, well, your part, when do you want to have that part done? And then it puts it on you. And then you can say, huh, well, that's a pretty inspiring vision. What about six months? How do you, how do you feel about that? And then I say as the manager, I think we can make that work. Six months is okay, right? I might want it in five or four or three. But six months, I can see how your six-month timeline actually still fits into the vision, right? It's having those kinds of conversations. Leaders who are willing to share the vision that, that does connect and inspires the people on their team, but also ask the question, okay, well, what do, what do the people on my team want for themselves? What do they want the journey towards this goal to look like? Folks who do that, who have clear vision, but also create space for the leaders under them to set the trajectory and figure out how to actually make that vision a reality are, are folks who, who do really, really well when there's lots of ambiguity. So there's a, a group of leaders that is near and dear to my heart for because they have the hardest job and are the people in the middle to middle upper management who are caught in between the pressure from most senior leadership and their team. And the really good ones we both know are the ones that are able to take the side of senior leadership when they talk to their team and take the side of their team when they talk to senior leadership. What are some of the things that, you know, somebody who is in that position can do to be successful. Yeah, I love that. I, I want to just share that I really appreciate your affinity for this group. This is the group of folks who I spent most of my career supporting internal to these organizations. When I left Google, I was supporting the manager community, which is, you know, manager of ICs, manager of managers, and then manager of manager of managers, right? Like almost director level. Google has a lot of layers. It's a whole another conversation. But to answer your question. I will just say one thing to that. Yeah. That's the bulk of my clients too. So <laughs> as a coach. <laughs> yeah. I love them. Well, they're great folks. And I believe that they are, when they are aligned and work well together, they're the most influential group in organizations. The senior leaders, like they make the call, right? And when it comes to getting stuff done, these are the folks. So I appreciate that. We can talk more about these folks later. Wonderful group of leaders. What these folks can do, which many leaders don't see themselves as necessarily having the place to do, is exactly what I shared earlier. Like these managers, should they want to, can develop their own vision. And they can use that vision to inspire the people around them, the people who report to them, and their own manager. I have a client right now who just shared his vision for a project. And he shared it with his manager. And his manager was like, whoa, I've never had a manager come to me with their own vision. I love this. Here's some tweaks that I would add. 
And it's just like that. That manager has increased his influence and in now he's influencing his manager. And now that manager is going to influence other people with his vision. That kind of stuff is very doable at all levels, whether you're a manager of IC or manager of managers. You can still do the things that you think are the responsibility of the most senior leader. And they are. Everyone should have a vision in, in these organizations of your own space. And sometimes if you want, maybe you just craft a vision for the larger organization, see where that goes. It might be a nice exercise. But starting with vision is something that I express this is really important for leaders at all levels in organizations. How does one start thinking about vision? What I like to ask my leaders to do is to first start with their own life. And this is, I think, one of the most important areas to have vision and then begin to think about the rest. And so I, I ask my leaders to do this exercise, which I love. My coach asked me to do this a few years ago, and I now invite everyone to do it, which is to write a vision story. And a vision story, as I ask my clients to do, is a two to three page story of a day in your life. And the reason why that's valuable is because you get really detailed about what you want your life to look like. And this gets into individual leadership purpose and all of that. We can talk about that later. But getting really detailed about what you want days to feel like and look like has a way of pulling forward what's really important to you as a leader. And once after leaders have done that, and that can be a challenging exercise for a lot of folks, but once folks have done it, they're like, wow, this is amazing. They've grown their vision ability or their, their ability to extend their vision. So I say, okay, well, you did that. You did two to three pages for your own life for one day. That's a pretty detailed vision. Let's try one for your job. Pick a project. What do you want people to say about the work that you're doing? How do you want people to experience this work? Uh, what do you want your clients to experience? These are all questions that people can answer when they give themselves the time and space. Write it down. Write down what you want to see. There is an organization that I can mention. Amazon does this thing. It's well known. It's called Press Release. And it's kind of like writing a vision story for your clients. The press Release is like, what do you want people to be saying about your product? I ask leaders to do something very similar. What do you want people to say about your work, your area of expertise, your department? How do you want people to experience you as a leader or your teammates? When you start answering those questions, you start building a vision and then people can follow that. That's great. And what I love about this is that it is all very based on connection and experience. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. How do you get them then to connect it into the things that ultimately they are accountable for within the organization, whether it's a revenue, time to deliver a product, efficiency? How do you negotiate that? Most of my clients really care about that stuff too, right? And when they write their vision story, sometimes they mention specific goals. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes it's all about how clients feel. Um, but sometimes they include specifically, okay, we have met all of our revenue targets. Like that will often be in some of my clients' vision stories or visions for their product or their department. Um, so having this kind of vision doesn't exclude the bottom line. It often includes it. People leave that stuff out for their own personal vision story. Usually it's about family and space and connecting with friends. But when we start focusing on vision for the organization, organizational goals is easily a part of it. 
right? Like, oh, I just closed a meeting where I had that I had with my client and we knocked it out of the park and we've closed this amazing deal. That's vision. And when you can begin to visualize that, then you can begin to move yourself, your leadership, your team in that direction. Um, so it simply could be as simple as like, uh, and ask, what goals do you want to make sure are met? And how do you want to meet them? What do you want that journey to look like for yourself and for your team? It's a very powerful connection for people. It's very easy to say, I need to, you know, my department needs to do half a billion dollars in revenue this year or a hundred million or whatever it is. And there's often not the connection to the human element of that, of running, you know, how you're going to get your department to hit that goal, et cetera. I want to go back a little bit to you. So you were running development at Google when you left. What was the journey for you from going from like an individual practitioner to running a team? And what are some of the things that you learned specifically in running a team that then you brought into your other work? You know, it's the same thing that like most managers are challenged with the first time they start managing. I had some of those same trials and tribulations, you know, things I support my clients around prioritization and delegation. These are all things that even though I may have studied and read the books and understood leadership development, I had my own like identity crises and shifts uh, that I had to work through. What I've learned over time, and this is a part of the reason why I also shifted to coaching, because my coaching journey, I, I began learning how to coach as I was growing in my career, going from these different organizations and then finally landing at Google, is that being coached, like, like I mentioned before, is really, really valuable skill set to have as a leader in these organizations. And that's why I, I encourage a lot of my clients who don't necessarily want to be certified coaches. I often find myself encouraging them to take up some coaching training. And that's because these skill sets help leaders scale. They help them develop a more effective relationship skills. They help with understanding saboteurs and navigating around them. These are all the things that I began to use more of as I developed myself in these organizations and through these organizations. As I got more skills in coaching, was building my practice outside of Google, I also became a more powerful leader inside these organizations. I was able to inspire and influence in ways that I couldn't before coach training because I just didn't have the same set of skills. And so in so many ways, me becoming a coach outside of Google helped me become a stronger leader inside of Google. That's great. I want to go talk about a little more like the entrepreneurial side. And before we do that, actually, how has your definition of success changed? Thinking when I first started working, so this is, you know, fresh out of grad school, got my first big boy job. My definition of success was making six figures. And that was as far as I thought. I just want to make six figures. And I did that. And I woke up one day like, I don't really feel that successful. <laughs> That's not it. That's definitely not it. And, you know, I don't know. I, I haven't shared with you, but I went through a little bit of a personal crisis after having hit that. And like, I worked really hard to get this job and get these degrees. And then I got my six figure job and I was miserable. So then I started looking for meaning and purpose and connection. And that's when I stumbled into manager and leadership development and coaching. 
And so I've been working to make those things a larger and larger priority in my life. So success up to, I want to say about a year or so ago, was really just finding meaningful, purposeful work. Like as long as I could spend most of my days doing meaningful, purposeful work, I felt good. I felt successful. Today, I'm I'm starting to see for myself that success means space, freedom, flexibility, fulfillment, you know, being able to really just do what I want to do and do as much or as little of it as I want on any given day. To me, when I get to that place, I'll have an even greater sense of success. So I feel successful today and I still got to work. You know, I still got a coach. I have an obscene number of clients and that's because I have things that I want to see created in this world. But one day I would love to be able to say, hey, you know what? I don't want to coach right now. I'm just going to take some time off. I'm just going to travel the world for a few years, you know, something like that. Just have the freedom to do that. That would that would be another level of success that that I'm I'm striving for. You know, you mentioned freedom and and the ability to control your life. You've made a choice that I think many people look at and feel, oh, I wish I had the courage to do that. You know, you decide you and your family decided to completely transplant in a foreign country. Talk to me a little bit about like the process of making the decision the things that worked out, the things that were scary, and and sort of where you are right now. Thank you. This decision was seven years in the making. Around this, so the same year, actually, was it the same year? Yeah, I think it was the same year. Same year I was introduced to coaching was the first year I came to Costa Rica with my wife. And at the time, she was my girlfriend, fiance at the time. And we're just kind of like, it's one of those, oh, we visit this really beautiful place. Maybe we'll live here one day, that kind of thing. But over the years, we kept talking about it. And we kept talking about how much we wanted to have that level of freedom and flexibility to just kind of like do what we want to do, work where we want to work. And so we, we kind of unconsciously and somewhat consciously started moving our lives and our careers in that direction. And then uh, the pandemic occurred. And my wife's job, she's she's a therapist, but teletherapy wasn't really popular back then. But after the pandemic and quarantine, teletherapy is all the rage. So now my wife is fully remote. I'm like, okay, interesting. And then we had a baby. And having a baby helped me realize, like, I knew I wanted to be a very present father, but I didn't know how important being a present father really was for me um, until my daughter arrived. And I'm like, okay, she's here now. It's going to be really difficult for me to be the kind of father I want to be, work a full-time job, and build this practice on the side. So I took a very extended leave. Google is one of these amazing places, has all these benefits. I was able to extend my leave for nine months. And I did that for two reasons. One, I had to feel what it felt like to be a full-time coach and be a father. I was like, this works. I like this. So when it came time for me to go back to Google, I was really just going for a test. Like, can I do this? And I very quickly realized I I did not want to. Trying to, I maybe had like 30 clients at the time. So I'm trying to manage 30 clients in a full-time job and being a father of a nearly one-year-old just wasn't working. It was not the life that I wanted. And I was fortunate enough that through my leave, I was able to build my practice to a point where like it could sustain my family. So it felt like the time. 
all signs pointed yes. It was still a very, very scary decision because now I'm betting on myself and my ability to provide for my family. But everything I said I wanted to have by the time that I left corporate world was there. I had the runway, I had the clients, it was all there. And even still, it was a very difficult decision. So I was faced with all the fear, even though I had the list of things that I said I wanted. Um, but we ended up doing it. And I'm so, so glad that I did. But it, it was a seven-year journey for me to make this courageous choice. Your wife is also your partner in Consciously? Yes, yes. I think there are many entrepreneurs who start their businesses with their life partner. What are some of the challenging things? And most importantly, what are some of the great things about working with your life partner? I'll start with the latter. <laughs> some of the great things, and this is, I think, honestly, what makes us work well in general, is that my wife and I are highly aligned. Like we, we talk a lot and we communicate very well. All the things they say, it's like really good to have in a marriage. Um, we have that. We have that in our relationship and that makes us as co-leaders of consciously, I think, strong together because we, we both share the vision that we have and we like co-created this vision together, but it's, it's our vision, right? We're both inspired by it. And that's really important. Like if you have a partner of any sort, you want them to be inspired by the vision that you have as a leader at home or at work. If they're not, that's a problem. Right. Like you really want to get aligned. If you don't have that alignment, start there. So my wife and I are exceptionally aligned in our leadership of our lives, our leadership as parents, our leadership of consciously, our leadership of others in the organization. So that's what makes this thing great for us. And what makes it challenging is that we are different people. <laughs> my wife and I are very different. We have very different approaches to life and let alone leadership. And me as CEO, I'm technically my wife's boss, but we know how that works out. So it makes leading an organization like this a bit touchy and tricky, right? Because she's technically someone in the organization that I am the CEO of, but I'm not her boss. So how do you balance that, right? How do you balance these overlapping roles that we have, let alone co-parent in a foreign country at the same time. But we make it work and we make it work through all the tools that we have. I've had another guest who actually has started two companies with his wife and they have very clear separate skill sets and they work very well together. And I think there are many people who think about starting a business with their partner. So you know, if somebody was thinking about it, what are some of the advice that you would have in terms of, you know, tools to think about, steps to take to protect the relationship? Yes, clear roles. This is like same stuff you would tell anybody leading any organization, right? But it becomes even more important. Very, very clear roles. And we do this outside of consciously where we have clear roles in how we lead our home. Right? Like my wife is chief grocery officer. I'm chief technology officer of the home, right? I'm also chief financial officer. So like 
setting these roles, like who's the best person to take this and what's their willingness and want to serve this role? Like being really clear about all those things, we do the same thing in our business, right? Like, okay, well, what roles? I mean, we are now growing a team, so we have other people to serve other roles. So it's not just us serving all these different roles, but we, we have a conversation. Okay, well, what roles need to be fulfilled? Who's the best person to do it? And what? how aligned do they feel to that? Because the last thing that we want to do is take on roles that are not fulfilling for us. I mean, we didn't work this hard to get to a place where we do work that is a drag, right? Of course, there's always things that we don't love doing, but we try to make that, we try to reduce how much time we're spending doing those things. There's always going to be those things. Um, but we have really rich, meaningful conversations about this stuff. Another tool that you're that you're asking this question brings up for me is something that I picked up from one of my favorite leadership books, The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership. If you haven't, if you're out there listening to this and you haven't read that book, grab that book. I recommend it to almost all my clients. In there, there's a couple things. Not original from this group, but something that's really powerful is radical responsibility. It's chapter one is really owning that you are a co-creator of your circumstance, right? You have contributed to yourself being in the situation that you're in one way or another. You might not be 100% responsible, but you are largely responsible for your circumstance. So if you're disappointed, first thing you need to do is figure out, like, how did you contribute to yourself being in this place? We lean on that a lot in our relationship and in our leadership. Right? Like if we can't come to the table and say, okay, I'm not happy with this situation and here's what I've done to get myself in this situation, then we can't have a conversation. We got to start there. And then you work with your partner and say, okay, well, what part of this do you own? Oh, okay, well, you'll take a piece. I'll take a piece. Great. Another tool that introduced from by this book is conscious communication. Um, some people call it nonviolent communication, but it's really leaning on what's actually happening and surfacing the story, right? This is great for relationships. It's great for marriages. It's great for leadership. When Dino asked this question, it makes me think this. And me thinking this makes me feel this way, right? I'm telling myself a story. When you can surface what that story is or what the narrative is, and then you own your emotional reaction, that kind of takes the responsibility away from the person. Like, oh, it's not Dino's fault that this didn't go the way that I wanted to. It's the story I'm telling myself that makes me feel a certain way that's led, led us down this path. I'd say those two tools, radical responsibility and conscious communication, have not just transformed our marriage, but transformed our business. It's stuff that we use in our leadership that makes us different kinds of leaders. That's fabulous. And I think that's uh, an excellent point to stop the more like business like part, if you will, of the conversation. Before we go to the personal questions, if somebody's interested in finding out more about you or working with you, where can they go? Best place to go would be consciously.one or consciously.one. Check us out there, hit the contact button, reach out to me. You have options of connecting with a coach or a counselor or some combination of the two or consultant. And we still do organizational consulting. So that's a great place to just say, hey, I would love to work with you. Let's figure out how we can work together. Uh, the other place is LinkedIn. 
I'm active on LinkedIn. I share quite a bit about my perspectives on leadership and life and purpose and vision, all the things that we've talked about today. I really like to share. And so I'm offering anyone who decides to connect with me and follow with me lots, at least on a weekly basis. So those are two great places to connect with me. Great. So now we're going to move on to the personal questions. What is a hobby or passion that you have outside of your work and how has that maybe even impacted the way you work? Yeah, that's a great question. Never really thought about this, but I love photography. And what I'm realizing now, as you've asked this, is I think my love for photography, capturing images as a big part to do with my love for vision, right? There's something like really powerful about visuals, inspiring about visuals. And so I like to capture images of the earth, but I also like to capture visions of the future and there's a high high correlation between those two so i pre- i just appreciate that question i never really drew those two together but thank you for that that's great now this is my favorite question which is every era has cliches business expressions jargons which is the one that drives you crazy there's something about it is what it is that rubs me the wrong way it feels very So there's like some wisdom in there, like acceptance. And then there's usually like a tinge of defeatist in that. And I don't know, I don't really identify as a fighter. I'm more of like a lover, but there's definitely a fighter in me that's like, no, 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 we can, we can work to make this what we want it to be. This is what I'm up to at consciously. Things are how they are today, right? They can be different. And I don't want anyone to ever like give up or a let go of hope that they can't make their life situation or the world different. Uh, so yeah, it is what it is. Kind of rubs me the wrong way sometimes. That's great. It's interesting because expression seems to come together in the same time. So somebody like a couple of episodes ago also picked up it is what it is. Huh, interesting. When I started the podcast, I had a lot of people co- hating synergy <laughs> and then for other reasons obviously the new normal yeah that's a good one because that was 2020 but it's interesting that like i've heard it is what it is now very recently so that's great you're not alone no, i love that well, connect me to that person we can get together and make make it be what we want it to be <laughs> exactly final question i call it food for your soul or food for your body and you can pick both if you want or just one of the two food for your soul is a piece of art music book movie theater whatever something that inspires you or food for your body is a recipe or a drink or something that it's sort of like your your go-to i know this is probably mentioned by a number of people and yet it's i find it still valuable for folks and I'll, I'll share why I'm sharing this and then I'll share what it is. I know that there is an inner artist and creative in every leader. And I believe that we must tap into that creative part of ourselves to create the future that we want to see, that inner artist. And so The Artist Way is, I think, a wonderful, wonderful book to ignite and help heal and recover the inner artist or the inner creative that lies deep within all of us. So if, you, if you're listening to this, you've never heard of that, or if you have a copy and you've been, it's been sitting on the shelf, now is the time to grab it because 
now is the time for us to be focused on creating the future that we want to see. That's great. That's a, a beautiful thought and a recommendation that I am 100% behind. I appreciate that. Kayvon, thank you so much for joining me today and thank you for your wisdom. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much, Dino. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, find a friend who may enjoy it and tell them that they should listen to it. And if you really like the show, tell your friends and post about it on social media. Every little bit helps. Make sure you're subscribed to the show on your favorite listening platform so you don't miss any episode. And if you listen on a platform that allows reviews like Apple Podcasts, Audible, Good Pods, please leave us a stellar rating and a review. Stick around because after the credits, I'm going to play a song by Susan Cattaneo one of Boston's best Americana singer-songwriters. For links to Kayvon and Consciously, go to the episode page on my podcast website. The site is al4ep.com, spelled with the number 4. You can email me at dino at al4ep.com. Make sure you're following the podcast on Twitter and Instagram. The handle in both places is at al4edp with the letter D. And on Facebook, look for Authentic Leadership for Everyday People. This episode was produced by me, Dino Cattaneo, with additional edits by Pro Podcast Solutions. It was recorded remotely using Squadcast.fm. The theme music was composed, produced, arranged, and recorded by Nicolas Cattaneo, who also played keyboards and drums with Tony Savarino on guitar and Jesse Williams on bass. As promised, here is a song by Susan Cattaneo. It's a song making its first appearance on the podcast. It's called Alice in Wonder. Moment of clarity, this life will make some sense to me.